I always say the worst conversation we can have is one where you say to me, hey, Mike, yeah, this exercise has been bothering me for a month, but I didn't say anything. And I'll say that to guys. I'm saying, this is the the time I'm going to get pissed at you and I'm going to swear at you is when we have this conversation. Because I'm going to tell you right now, week one, day one, I don't want to have that conversation. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Basketball Strong Podcast. I'm Tim DeFrancesco, former LA Lakers strength and conditioning coach and doctor of physical therapy, and I'm here with my co-host, Emmy-nominated writer and author, Phil White. This podcast is not just for basketball junkies. It's for anyone who loves to hear the human stories behind great people while learning the science behind preparing your body for the court and high performance. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends with the Z-Kit. The Z-Kit is the first athletic training kit made for travel. It has 15 pro-level tools packed into an innovative travel kit you can take anywhere. It has a foam roller, a lacrosse ball, various mini bands and bands, a jump rope, and that's just to name a few. I just wish the Z-Kit had existed when I was the head strength and conditioning coach with the LA Lakers because I would have had a kit with each player at the hotels on the road and I would have sent a kit home with every player during the offseason. If you want to prep like a pro wherever you go, head over to thezkit.com today. That's thezkit.com and use code TDAE20, TDAE20 at checkout for 20% off your very own kit. You can also follow them on Instagram at thezkit. Today's guest is Mike Boyle. It is not overstated to say that Mike is a living legend in the field of strength and conditioning. He helped to pioneer the field as we know it today. You can follow Mike on Instagram at Michael underscore Boyle 1959, as well as on X, formerly known as Twitter, M Boyle 1959. This is the second time we've had Mike on the show. He was on episode 79, so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that one, get back there and listen. But in this conversation, he gets into and shares his insights, expertise, art, and science that he's applied for his entire career with training the aging athlete, not only at the pro athlete level, but also in the general population setting and how we can translate and help the aging athlete to train harder and smarter. Let's get into the conversation. Mike, I think we do a a very good job in our industry and the profession of strength and conditioning, even across into the rehab side of things of and sometimes maybe even too good of a job and, and spend too much time on the idea of how you develop power explosiveness and take the young athlete and, and turn them into a, the next level and, and all that good stuff. And there's lots of science there. There's certainly an art to it, but um, I, I would love to kind of open up with you and, and pick your brain today on the idea of the aging athlete. And this can sort of start with the idea of on a either college or rostered professional team, you're going to have athletes, not all of them are going to be 20, 21 years old. And so if somebody is at the tail end of a, of a competitive career, uh, what things do we need to start to consider in from a, of a, a training aspect of uh, what we apply, but also into sort of the general population? And I guess we're sort of all in that aging athlete category once you're sort of after that that stage of things. And so um, I just think it's really important as as everybody in this world gets more active and we want to do our things longer to talk through this. And I'm, I'm fascinated your take on it. Uh, it's really funny. Did you see my Instagram post yesterday, basically? So it, I didn't do that on purpose because we were doing this podcast, but I loved it. 
you know, the number one reason old men get injured is they think they're young men. And that's right. (laughs) There's a, there's a whole bunch of layers. I, I hope I can get to them all because I think, you know, the, the adult, you know, we all think we're athletes. That to me is, is one thing because one of the things that we always say is once you're no longer getting paid to play, I don't think you're an athlete anymore. I mean, you can tell me, you know, weekend warrior, whatever, but we're going to treat you as a person with a job who has to get to that job and that it really matters. Whereas as an athlete, if you get hurt, there's a whole system built around what happens when you get hurt as an adult, you don't have that system. So if you're training at Mike Boyle's strength conditioning and you get injured, there's a whole series of problems. One of which obviously is, can I go to work? Can I do my job? Can I take care of my family? All the things that I need to do. So I think that's one side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum is this outlier, which is becoming less of an outlier that plays into their late thirties or in their forties in the professional ranks. Yep. And I wrote an article called training an athlete for, I think it was training an athlete for 18 years or training an athlete for 17 years. And I actually wrote it primarily centered around Jay Pandolfo, who's now the BU hockey coach, because I had Jay as a basically right after his senior year of high school in the summer before his freshman year at BU, right up to the time that he retired, which was about 17 or 18 years. And what you realize is that guys can still play at a really high level and not be able to train at a really high level. Mm. So it's it's very much about if you've got sort of your your menu of exercises, you're crossing stuff off. You're like, it's, ah, it's shrinking. No. Yeah, okay. It, when we started out with these kids, everybody was cleaning and bench pressing and back squatting. By the time we're done with them, no one is. And right. as you move through your career, you just start to realize, yeah, my shoulders feel better when I dumbbell bench and my wrist doesn't respond to, to hand cleans the way that it used to. And my back, we don't back squat anyway, but my back doesn't feel great when we squat or when we deadlift, but that person can still play at a really high level. So you've got to be able to adapt your program, which I think is really easy to do, but I think some, the problem with us and and I'm often critical of the profession is that too many of us don't want to modify for the athlete. We want to do, you know, I always talk about sort of the beer and ice cream coach, but that's who we want to be. We have things that we like to do and we're, we're going to stand there with a sledgehammer and smash square pegs into round holes as best we possibly can for as long as we possibly can. Right. I know what's best for you. I've been doing this for a while and, and um, really the, the person's body is the one thing and the, the, what knows the best and it'll tell us. I mean, if we listen to the person that we're applying the exercise to or the stimulus to long enough, the body and they will tell us what is working and what isn't. Um, Yeah, it's so true. And I think often, especially entry level coaches uh, or rehab professionals, Uh, you know, I think it's like exciting to be able to think about all the things that we just learned in a textbook or in all the exams we took to get to here. And now we can apply them one by one or take a a new application that we saw on T nation or, you know, Mike Boyle's website or something like that and say, well, let's do some contrast training. Let's do some of this um, with that younger audience of, of athletes. And it's almost like you can't, you can't really, as you said, early on, you're doing all those things and they're pretty much fine in response to them. And sometimes they respond better than others, but you can't really 
Uh, it takes a lot to really mess up that younger athlete and, and to ding them up um, until you do. But um, with that older aging athlete, I look at it more as the kind of the art of it. This is where it comes in of like your ability to adapt. And I think of from uh, somebody that I had uh, as um, during my time with the Lakers, Steve Nash. I mean, this was the twilight. This was the very end. I mean, he, he in his beginning stages was on uh, doing stuff on the, the voodoo board and doing, you know, crazy things in the weight room all the time. And then he and I had to sit down and kind of really get pretty, like you said, narrow with what, what, what his body was going to tolerate just in order to be ready to go out and play 12 minutes and, and hope that they were Steve Nash level minutes. Exactly. And I, I think the, and it's interesting when you sent me sort of, Oh, this is what we were thinking about talking about for this podcast. One of the things that immediately came to my mind is there it's the, the psychological part, the ability to develop a relationship with that older player to be able to have a frank conversation about, I mean, my standard joke with my, like my older NHL guys, the guys like Jay Pandolfo and Hal Gill and some of these guys who had really long careers is I'd be like, okay, guys, we're going to gear up to go steal another million dollars from some professional sports organization. Like that's right. right? Our goal is to make another million. Our goal, it's not to bench 250 or to, you know, do this many 300 yard shuttles. It's let's all go get paid one more time. Everybody will go get paid. Then hopefully next year we'll come back and they won't have kicked you out of the league yet. And you can go get paid again. And, and guys, as they mature, they start to understand that because they start to approach it more, it is a job and they realize that it's a job. And now they're in, as you said, you get later in your career. It might, maybe with Steve Nash, it's more about legacy than money. But with a lot of my guys, it was probably about putting the kind of icing on the cake financially yeah. in terms of, okay, if I can squeak out one or two more years, that's going to make a really big change in the financial outlook for me over the rest of my life. And so I think those guys become a little more responsive and a little bit better at listening than maybe they might've been earlier in their career when they, sometimes a young guy, when you start saying, Hey, I'm slipping some stuff off the menu, they fight back at least initially. Oh, come on. Right. Let's see. I can still clean. Let's just try it. And then luckily for us, no one ever really got badly hurt, but you just have guys. You, I always think you got to be a really good face reader and and a face reader is looking at that guy and knowing that what he's saying is not what he's experiencing. And in wow. my some of my rehab uh, presentations, I have the quote, and I forget who it uh, um, the quote is from. I could look it up, but it's basically something to the effect of what you do speaks so loudly I can't hear what you say. And you'll look at a guy sometimes, and and you'll be like, "How's it?" Like, "Oh, it's fine." And you're like, no, it wasn't your face. I'm reading your face. It wasn't fine at all. It didn't feel that wasn't comfortable. That wasn't something that we probably want to repeat. Right. And then they always look at you. And I always think you've got to continue to probe with those guys because they're, you know, I always the same. I have all, and you, you've heard me, this is not the first time we've spoken, but I have all my standard kind of cliches. You know, I tell people all the time, most of the heroes are dead. Like you don't get a statue if you're alive, generally speaking. So you're not like, don't be a hero. That's not right. really what we're worried about here. And I tell people, even when anybody comes in, I always say the worst conversation we can have is one where you say to me, Hey Mike, yeah, this exercise has been bothering me for a month, but I didn't say anything. And I'll say that to guys. I'm saying, 
This is the, the time I'm going to get pissed at you and I'm going to swear at you is when we have this conversation because I'm going to tell you right now, week one, day one, I don't want to have that conversation. I want to have the, uh, nope, that wasn't it. Let's see if we can, can we find a variation of that exercise or a variation of that movement pattern that's comfortable for me so that I can continue to be strong and move in this pattern without going in the negative direction. Before it's too late. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and that's such a good point. And I, I think that that, uh, that circumstance happens, at least I, from my experience, I've seen that happen in um, gen pop, say 35 to 55, or even up to 75 year old clients and, and people that I'm working with where they don't they don't want to admit, no, no, let me, let me do it for another couple of weeks in this, in this program, because I, I think I can work out the kinks on it and you're looking at it and you're listening to them and they're, you're in it. And sometimes, you know, I've, I've, I've done this where I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And then it's a couple of weeks later. And now it's all of a sudden that's been in the drinking water for four, five, six weeks. And it's like, okay, we've got more than just a little dumpster fire on our hands here because we let it go so long. Yeah, and my I'm the sort of the opposite in terms of again, I always say I wrote an article, but I wrote one of my favorite articles that I wrote was called Does It Hurt? And basically the gist of Does It Hurt was that if I ask you does it hurt, you can only answer yes or no. Meaning does it hurt is a yes no question and anything other than no is yes. So when somebody looks at you and they say something like, "Well, Tim," and I'm like, "That's yes." Moving on. Yep. We're going to get another exercise because, yep. you know, or only if, if I, that's yes. Or only when I, yes. I look at people all the time. The only suitable answer to this question is you look at me and go, no, it doesn't hurt at all. It feels great. Right. And I read your face and I know that was an honest statement. So I'm looking at you and thinking there's none of that. My lips are moving kind of thing. And I'm, I'm telling you what I think you want to hear. But I know as I look at your, you know, I can't tell you how many people I've watched in the gym where you say, hey, how'd that feel? Oh, fine. And then they walk away and they're like rubbing their shoulder. And I'm like, if you're walking away rubbing your shoulder, why was it fine? Right. <laughs> Something stupid like, well, oh, that always hurts. And I okay. think that was a yes. Let's do something about and it. And I said, but I asked you, does it hurt? You answered no. But the answer was yes. Because the fact that it always hurt or that it used to hurt before, or that it all those are yes. And if we can constantly strive for no, we can develop really, really solid programs for people where they literally get better. And that's one. Right. And it's all about that. I mean, what that gets into, this could be a whole other podcast episode and and discussion, but it's, this is about communicating with the people you're working with and, and that you're applying exercise and coaching exercise to is, I don't care if they're on a, on a professional sports team or they just, as you said, have to get to their job on Monday morning and it's commuting in a desk job. It, you have to, I want to, one of the favorite, my favorite questions and one that we use here at TD Athletes Edge is where do you feel that? Because even if they're not willing to kind of let it show, or you're trying to, you're, you're good enough to have the, the nuanced ability of reading the faces as you just described, 
that will trigger a conversation that can get us more information. Because if you don't, if you don't ask that question for four weeks at a time and then eight weeks and then 12 weeks, you can go a long time. Like you said, where every time they were getting done with that exercise, they're rubbing their shoulder and you didn't either notice it or nobody ever talked about it. And then it's like, like you said, too late. Yeah. And, and I think honestly, the, where do you feel that question is really important because it's amazing sometimes the answer you get in terms of really. So you're feeling that I always say to people, when I expect you to feel something in the back and you feel it in the front, that tells me there's a joint problem. Right. When somebody, you know, I ask them about a glute exercise and they say, Oh, I feel it in the front kind of pinchy. I'm like, okay, we've got a hip capsule problem. When right. somebody says, Oh, I feel that in the front of my shoulder. I'm thinking, okay, we've got a rotator cuff problem. That's not where you're supposed to be feeling it. And you're right. Oh, that's so, so I think, I think that's a really effective question that people don't ask enough, but I think it's, and this is where you develop the ability to ask simple questions. Does it hurt? Where do you feel that? And, and again, when you get, like you said, the older athletes, sometimes you show up, I showed up to the Red Sox and I had a bunch of older pitchers. I had a bunch of guys in their thirties and you got to have really good conversations with these guys. And some of it is, Hey, what have you done before? What do you like to do? What do you not like to do? Because, even that part, and you know, I, I forget who it was. I talked to somebody who was in pro sports who said, you really have to figure out, all right, I have a series of hills that I want to die on. My hill to die on with the Red Sox was back squat. I don't want anybody to back squat. But eventually I gave in to John Lester was one of these guys who was a really accomplished pitcher, and he wanted to back squat. And it was kind of like, you know something? This guy's 30-whatever years old. He's been a multiple-time all-star. He had, doesn't have back issues. If he's going to do this once a week, it's not the end of the world. But he was legitimately the only guy that I couldn't talk out of back squats and into some sort of unilateral alternative. Most everybody else, when I gave him my spiel, was, okay, yeah, we can do that, or I'll try that, or whatever that was. And then most of the time, they all thought, yeah, I actually like that better. I don't. Because the other thing I find, too, is most people – if you exclude football offensive linemen yep. and fullbacks, do not like the compressive loading of the spine of the back squat. Sure. I know a lot of people who think, I love the way that feels. I love the feeling of 500 pounds on my neck. I love the way it feels on my back. No. So for most people, when you try to present them with a, that alternative, most people will think, okay, I'd be very willing to try that because I, I never really was – too much in love with that exercise to begin with. Right. right it's really interesting. Right. As you were speaking there, Mike, uh, TD, it reminded me that the, the the converse of what Mike was saying was when I believe you, you tried to introduce, it was probably some Eric Cressy stuff, you know, which is obviously awesome. And Eric's, you know, deservedly has a great reputation in, in the field. And we all know that, but I think he maybe gave, gave uh, some Eric Cressy shoulder activation exercises to Kobe, or should I say tried to. Can you tell that story for us? And then maybe get into a little bit of what Mike was saying about at, at age 35 plus, Kobe was already a minimalist in what he did on the court and in his warm-ups and in his turnarounds and everything. And just, just give that a little bit and then let Mike roll off of that. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the classic 
Kobe cupcake story that I've told plenty times, uh, plenty, but, uh, I, you know, it was, it was literally, I think it was the first time I had a chance to, it was sort of the handoff between Tim Grover and myself was, was beginning to happen. No pressure. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. And, uh, so I was really getting my first opportunity to actually run a workout with Kobe he had a nagging shoulder thing that eventually, uh, perfect for this conversation, uh, not perfect for that stage of his career or any part, but, uh, did turn into a, uh, a rotator cuff tear, but, um, he had some nagging shoulder stuff. I wanted to weave in some shoulder mobility work and in between some, some pressing, some dumbbell floor press stuff we were doing. So I, I give him the dumbbell floor press. He liked that. He was happy with it. He, I, he says, what's next. I go over, I show him the, the wall exercise for some shoulder mobility. And, uh, he looks at me, he goes, listen, I don't do the cupcake shit. I'm here to lift. And I expect that every exercise is going to include that. So figure it out. So I did. I mean, you know, and, and, uh, at that stage in my point in the process at his stage and, and his, his level, there wasn't any pushback. We figured it out. Um, was it the best thing for him? Would I love to have had a little bit more, uh, a couple more, um, uh, steps to, to stand on, to, to kind of talk him out of it a little bit and find a, a middle ground. Yeah, probably. But we got that over time. I, I also think the, the thing that was interesting with, with Kobe and you brought this up, Mike is, sort of the John Lester type uh, circumstance was, uh, you know, he at that point in his career was really in some ways reaching for straws as to how he could feel athletic and explosive like he was when he was 20 and in his 20s and that kind of thing. And so he was really probing me and pushing me to say, why aren't, why aren't you having me do these Olympic lifts that I used to do with so-and-so back in the day when I was 19, when I was 21, I was jumping through the gym then. In his mind, it was like, well, it has nothing to do with the age and the stage. It's like, I did that. I felt that way. I'm not doing it now. Why don't I feel that way? <laughs> and it's like, well, 19 versus 37 and that many miles on the body, you, you know, we're, we're talking about a different yeah, apples and oranges. And so, with him though, I just knew I had to find it. I could, I could explain it. If I could find the, the evidence to suggest here's why. And so I just talked to him like, look, I think we can get the explosiveness. I think we can pair a dumbbell goblet squat with some squat, some box jumps, you going from floor to box and that kind of thing where we're very controlled in, in what we're doing. And we're, we're working on that type of translating strength into power without the risk that is there with I'm not saying the Olympic lifts aren't potentially very fruitful. I'm just saying with what you're dealing with right now, with where you're at right now, this might be a better way to that pro and end result. Yeah. But I think, like I said, that's, it's honestly, and this is where, like I said, maybe it's episode three that we're doing this, but it's all about building relationships and building trust. That's yes. really what it comes down to, because you have got to establish a relationship with that player to be able to have these types of conversations because initially they're, I mean, maybe distrustful is too strong a word, but maybe not. I just, especially a lot of these guys too have had a lot of strength coaches and have maybe jumped around to a lot of different off season training programs during their time. And some of them, as you said, as they're getting older, some of them will start grasping at straws and start thinking, about any sort of fringe thing that they hear about that might potentially make a difference right. and your ability to, to continue to have the conversation 
is what will set you apart. I honestly believe, and I, I probably said this in our last podcast, but I'm not sure. Uh, somebody asked me years ago, what, like, what makes you good at what you do? And I said, what makes me good is that I can get people to do what I want them to do. I don't think it's necessarily that I'm doing something that is so much better than what the other guy is doing. It's that I'm a really effective, I guess, in a to use a not great word, I'm a really effective salesperson for what I want to do. I can give somebody a really good analogy, a really good explanation. Right. Sort of discuss <clears throat> things like risk benefit ratio with them. And when you get these guys that are smart, and a lot of professional athletes, it's very interesting. You get some guys who are uneducated but smart. And people yeah. will stuck on that. But you'll get some guys who they were done at grade 12. So they have not had a lot of formal education. But most of them are very intuitively smart. Yeah. And it's like he said, I don't do the cupcakes. You know, like he's got a pretty good bullshit meter. If, if you're trying to sell him a load of bullshit, he's like, no. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm not buying that. You got it. Let, let's try something else. Let's go a different route here because, and that's why I think the guys that make it in pro sports tend to have a, I think that aspect of their personality, they have some ability to be persuasive that you don't develop a lot of times in the collegiate ranks In the collegiate ranks. You can be dictatorial. I can just say, Hey, you're doing it. Cause I said so. Right. You get the best athletes in the world. They just look at you like, well, I, you know, honestly, I'm, I'd love to hear what you think, but you're not going to tell me. And you realize you'll fail miserably. Well, I had Carl Crawford when I was with the Red Sox, who I think is the single single best athlete I've ever worked with. Yeah, and I've heard you mention those that. Guys with an incredible kind of bullshit meter. And once you crossed over the line with him, I used to always tease him and say, Carl, you got a list and I don't want to be on the list. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, you got a list. Like when you decide you don't like somebody, they're on the list and no one ever gets off the list. Right. Kind of that way in terms of if he, if he decided at some point that he didn't trust you, if you did something that violated that trust, there was no going back. Right. Yeah. That was, that was Kobe for sure. I a hundred percent. Yeah. The, the, it's, it's tough. I mean, like you said though, it all, all, all of this comes back to the soft skills and your ability. You, you said, you know, be a great sales person as, as you know, you are, but not in that, way of using that negatively it's really to me it's you're just a great communicator and that's what what this does come down to um i think that's a great point in in the college ranks you probably have a lot more leeway with your communication skills because it's sort of like this is the deal you're either running or coaches getting involved if you're not doing it and you know we're, we're you know this is it's it's uh it's a little bit uh more straightforward there and you hear so this my, you, yeah you hear that with the difference td between um, what goes on in so in the SOCOM organization with, with spec ops versus general enlistment. Because if a drill sergeant tells a bunch of general enlistment grunts, you will show up at 5 a.m. for PT for one hour daily for the next eight weeks. By gosh, they're going to do it. Now, you will have buds and programs like that where there are going to be some unpleasant things. But once someone pins a trident on their uniform... I wouldn't say you're never telling them anything again, but it's uh, should we say a little bit, little bit more interesting. And I'm talking like right from the horse's mouth at Navy SEAL commander level. This is what you hear about the compare and contrast. So wow. maybe there's wow. a little bit. Of a, I always look at that. That to me, 
I've done some stuff in the military and that's one of the things we talked about was adopting more of the professional athlete model with those guys. Because once you do have a qualified operator, they general generally can pick how they're going to train. Wow. Yeah. And, and as a result, you don't, your days of dictating training to those people are over and sort of the higher they go up the scale, the more they are completely on their own. And, and what I found early on with this was, to their detriment very often because you have guys who really like difficulty. And so those are, that was, I got involved in this years ago because CrossFit was becoming a problem with these guys because they were loving the challenge. Like they love challenging themselves, you know, number of reps, the amount of time, that kind of stuff. But the injury rate was going up and they were losing operators that they really needed Wow. Because guys were now suddenly having back surgery and shoulder surgery and things that were that were being caused by their training. And I think that's the biggest thing. When I started writing initially, that was one of the things that I thought about was, okay, we started out with that do no harm idea. Yes. The idea that number the number one goal of training is you shouldn't get hurt training. Because training is just training. And again, this is why we trickle down like high school, college, you've got extremely resilient, untrained kids. They're kind of hard to hurt. Right. Then you get to the highest level. And now these guys have a lot of mileage on them and they're actually pretty easy to hurt. And suddenly you're going to be responsible for hurting them. Someone's going to look at you and think like in your situation, if Kobe couldn't play because of something that you did sort of, and then you get into the legalese, you know, acts of commission versus acts of omission. Did you, totally. did you do something in, and cause him to get injured or did you not do something? And then he got injured. And in both cases, it's going to be your fault. And in both cases, it could probably result in you losing your job, which absolutely doesn't happen at the college level. It, you are not nearly as accountable in those types of situations as you would be. But what that led to in the professional level is a lot of, I think, fearful training. A lot of coaches thinking, I'm just going to let people do whatever the hell they want. And I'm just going to make sure nobody gets hurt. And so, you know, it's kind of the ostrich mode of training. I'm just going to bury my head in the sand over here and, and see how long I can last before I get fired. Right. Yeah. TD at the Lakers. How did you handle that? Um, You mentioned obviously the handover from from Tim Grover, and that's a thing, you know, in and of itself. You mentioned that it was early in your tenure with the Lakers, but how did you handle psychologically as a coach what what Mike has brought up here that I better not break this asset or these and these other assets, say a Ron Artest, a Steve Nash, and others that you mentioned, as well as obviously the main one, which is um, Mr. Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I mean, I had to learn my way through it. I mean, I at that point, I, I always remember this. We had Sean Light on, my assistant in my uh, my final season with the Lakers, and he, he tells the story, but he remembers asking me, like, Tim, why why are we doing heel raises? Why are we doing heel raises? Like, we're it's 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 twenty. 16 it's 2017 like we're not this isn't a bodybuilding championship we're preparing for and i remember just and he remembers it he is like i i just turned to him i was like well when the greatest player arguably of our generation 
tears his Achilles and we've had that happen on our watch, we're going to start loading these areas. We're going to start paying attention to what needs to be done in, in terms of the age of these players, the, the stage that they're in, but also what's being required of them. And that was a, that, that could be a great episode with you, Mike, of going down the path of like, how did, how far did we swing on the pendulum of just everything had to be so functional and multi-joint movements and everything had to be global and nothing could be isolated. But, you know, then to where we're coming back and recognizing that we needed some of that. But I just think that, uh, you know, those were, just things that I had to figure out. And part of it was like Mike said is, I mean, a lot of those players, the Kobe's, the meta world piece, the Pau Gasol's, the Steve Nash's, I was just saying to them like, Hey, tell me what you've done to this point. I'm not going to come in here and start to like shake up your snow globe of, of training and, and be like, Oh, we should be doing this and this and this. And anytime I tried to do that, as I got ahead of myself, it, it didn't really go well typically. So I had to kind of recognize that very early and very quickly and, and, uh, um, and, and be able to just say like, Hey, I'm here to understand what you've done to this point. What's worked for you. Uh, is there anything that you want to, sort of dive into that you felt like you haven't been able to, maybe we can root that out together and do it in a really sort of low risk, high reward way. And let me be the one that helps you to figure that out. But other than that, I mean, I'm handing you dumbbells and you're telling me where we're going (laughs) a lot. Yeah. Well, um, again, I'm the cliche King, right? But those who don't know history are destined to repeat it. And I, exactly. I started actually working on functional strength coach eight. And a lot of it is going to be the history of how did we get to this point? Because sometimes when people will argue about things, like for instance, people arguing about, Oh, you know, no one should do 300 yard shuttle runs. I think you don't remember when linemen ran a mile and a half for time. Do you? <laughs> right. And they kind of look at you like, well, what are you talking about? And I said, exactly. <laughs> you don't understand the history. You don't understand why I don't think 300 yard shuttles are a really big deal. So, you know, some big lineman doing a one minute interval where he stops and starts eight times or 12 times isn't really so horrific to me because I remember when they had to run eight laps under 12 minutes. And and so I think so much of this is is that ability to to know the history. And as you said, right, look at this guy. What have you done? Where have you been? Who was your strength coach before I had? Big advantage, you know, I'm, I'm like, I do my homework. When I went to the Red Sox, yeah. I knew that Crawford was going to be a problem because he was injured and had been frequently injured. I started doing a little research and I realized he was a, an old, uh, an early athlete's performance guy. And so I start, I, I get a hold of Mark Verstegen and he's like, oh, Craig, Craig and Carl had a great relationship. Craig Friedman, who was there, was, was is, a, is and was a great coach. But uh, so I called Craig and I was like, you know, tell me about Carl. And he was like, oh, my God, like just sick athlete, you know, loves to train, blah, 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 super fast. But right when I went to meet Carl, I said, hey, you know, I've been talking to Craig a little bit at Athlete's Performance and he's been kind of giving me some rundown. And suddenly it was like, oh, we've got a little commonality here in terms of now he's like, you know, Craig. And I'm like, I know Craig really well. You know, Craig and I talk a lot. And we talked a lot about you and about, you know, what you've done and what you, you know, what you might want to do what you might not want to do. And suddenly I'm literally like, I'm laying down trust literally with Carl as I'm going strictly because I was willing to do my homework and do some background and understand where he came from, from a training perspective. And then I'm getting to know him as a person and find out where he comes from as a person. What does he, 
what does he value? Because he was a guy, if you don't know Carl Crawford's story, he was uh, a first-round pick in baseball, obviously, and signed with uh, with the Rays for big money out of high school. Yeah. But he'd been offered a full scholarship, I think, at Nebraska for football and a full scholarship at UCLA for basketball. And so he was the ultimate three-sport guy coming out in terms of he could have gone and played D1 basketball, he could have gone and played D1 football, but took the money and went into baseball. Wow. And so when you start to realize, okay, here's a guy who's in, in our world, probably the consummate athlete. Right. And I, now I know that about him. I know a little bit about his training history. I know a little bit about his injury history. And we ended up, we, we had a great relationship, whereas other people had struggled with him. I never had a problem. We never had a bad day. We did everything we were supposed to. He got back, he played, he was healthy. He, we eventually traded him, unfortunately, to uh, to Los Angeles. But during the time that I had him, he was he got back to being the Carl Crawford that he wanted to be, which was a guy who you know beat out singles and stole bases and made crazy plays in the outfield because because of his speed level. Right, I, and I have to imagine I've, I've I've seen this. I've I've personally had to avoid being tempted to do this. And, and hopefully I have most of the time, but it's like when you have that athlete who has, you know, it's the five tool player with the five tool athlete. And, and it's like, Oh, this is a blank canvas. I could do anything with this guy. And I just think it's, it's actually in a lot of ways, almost the opposite. It's like the, the more you, the, the more that you go down this path of, let me try this, let me try this, let me try this. You're getting away from these fundamental uh, aspects of, and, and, and like you said, rule number one for you is do no harm. What I always look at is of course that, but, but in one step further or one step next to that is in terms of when, when we sit down and, and this is really overlapping ideas, but when we sit down and write a program here at TD athletes edge is like, okay, the number one filter is durability. Everything that goes into this, is it promoting durability it's not to say we're ignoring ex, uh, explosiveness, power, athleticism, and, and different attributes of that, but is what we're doing, can we trace it back to durability? Because some things you can't, let's be honest. And <laughs> and when you make too many of those decisions, they pile up and they, they kind of get, uh, it gets treacherous for that athlete, for, for you as you're, you're working with them. Um, Mike, I was, I want to sort of. Uh, let me actually, yeah. I, let me go back for one sec. Yeah, please. I'm reading a book about Bezos right now. And one of the things he talked about is the idea of it's always day one. It's always the first day. And one of the things that I tell our coaches all the time is that I don't care who I give you. Day one, week one is day one, week one. We're going to do two sets. We're going to do the basic exercises. We're not, we never, I always tell them, don't skip steps. Don't jump ahead. Don't look at this guy and think, oh, wow, I could do blank with him. Look at this guy and think, it's day one, week one. What do we do on day one, week one? If I get whether, you know, Tim comes in or Mike comes in or Kobe Bryant comes in, day one, week one. And we're going to go through the motions of day one, week one. And then we are going to follow our progressions and we're going to follow. So even like I said, with someone like Carl, we were sticking our jumps day one, week one. Right. Thinking, okay, because day one, week one, we stick our jumps. Yeah, he that's may be what we the do. I've ever worked with, but that's what we do. And then we're going to work on our, our, you know, our, our mini bounce phase. Then we're going to work on our continuous phase. We're going to do it. Exa- we're always going to do it exactly the same way 
because we know, and this goes back to my sort of kind of recipe versus menu idea. If you always use the same recipe, you always get the product that you want. If you start messing around, you get problems. And and generally, like I said, the problems, one problem might be, oh, the results were too good. Right? Right. <laughs> Realistic. But generally speaking, the problem is going to be, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, yeah. yeah. went too fast. And now yeah. I got a sore knee or now I got a sore shoulder or what the things that I know I would avoid if I stuck. And again, that talk about articles. I wrote another article called, I think, I think it's called stick to the recipe, but mm. it's about that idea that you have to know who you are. You've got to know, am I, am I a cook or am I a sous chef or am I, or am I a chef? And if you're a cook, be a cook. And a cook sticks to the recipe. A cook does exactly what he's supposed to do the way he's supposed to do it because that's his job. The sous chef is the second in command, and he probably can now finagle a little bit and look and think, well, I think we can maybe do this or do this. The chef is the one designing the recipes, right? He can mess with the recipe because he knows the recipe. He created the recipe. But you got to know who you are. And we have way too many cooks in our field who think they're chefs. Right. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I think as, as you, um, as you go, it's, it's one of the most important things to recognize as anybody who's prescribing exercise to be able to, it's so tempting to try to please the, the end user as well. So whether it's the pro athlete that's saying like, no, 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 I want the, I want the back squat. No, no, no. That's what worked for me. You, you got, I got to do this. Or it's the, gen pop desk worker who is paying you X number of dollars every month and saying like, yeah, but I'm they're They're coming in the door saying like, no, no, no. I just, I, I know I've already done that. I'm just, I know I'm starting again, but I've, I've been there. We can like move past these, right. these early things. It's, ah, this is boring. This is easy. And you're saying like, well, you know, and it's like, you know, try, you have to, but look, this all goes back to the fundamental piece that that you laid the groundwork for us in this conversation of is if you have the ability to communicate and make the connection before you worry about correcting them on stuff, it's and telling them, you know, where if you walk in and you're trying to make corrections and you're telling them this is what we're doing and you're that sort of like dictator that you might be able to be a little bit more often in a college athlete setting in either the pro or the gen pop private settings, that's going to be tough. You have to get in there and make that connection first. You have to be able to communicate to them. I understand that. I totally get that where you were training before you moved here and and we're glad you're with us now, but before you moved, you were training at this facility. They were having you do X, Y, Z. I understand that was, was what was going on. Uh, Here's how we look at it. And here's why I think there's a, a, a greater risk than, than reward to go about it that way. But also we, we would be underserving you if we don't build this foundation with you, because we don't, when we look back and we do an audit on where you've been, I'm not sure that you've had this foundation ever built. And so, you know, this is how we can serve you best. And trust me, we'll get to some of the fun stuff, the stuff that you look at, but let's get there healthy. Let's, and, and also sometimes the conversation is, it gets real easy when you start to say to them, like, remember in the assessment that we did with you, you told us how every three months you were having derailed by another injury and, and, and that in the be, in between time, it was fun training. But then in that next two, two months while you were rehabbing, it wasn't fun. Well, we want to get you off of that path and get you onto the path of just 
let's keep adding the right layer so you can stay off the sidelines and keep going. And I think that that's such, that's so important for people. And and it doesn't sort of hit home with people until they get into a certain age and stage. And they're like, yeah, you're, you're right. That kind of, that kind of sucked. That whole uh, roller coaster kind of sucked. So if you're telling me there's a different way, let's, uh, let's give it a go. Exactly. And I think in pro sports, one of the things, again, when I went to the Red Sox, one of the advantages I had was I had remembered I had read an article about Seattle had brought in a strength coach who basically was said, we're going to redo everything. We're going to revamp everything. And he was out of there in about a month. Right. The Yankees had done the same thing. The Yankees had brought in another guy and same thing. You know, we're going to, we're going to revamp everything out of there in a month. Right. And I started looking at this and thinking, okay, I'm going into this Red Sox situation. I don't want to be out of there in a month because I come in and tell everybody uh, that I'm the savior. I'm here to save the day and everything's going to be great because I'm here. I'm going to come in and do the exact opposite. I'm going to run it almost like a series of interviews mm. where I'm going to talk to these guys and figure out. Cause I remember when I took over for the Red Sox, I, you know, I asked guys what their previous experience, well, what was your previous experience like? Yep. And what I was saying was kind of, how did you like the old strength coach? How did that go for you? But without, again, not making it about him or about sure. me, but just what, what was your experience? Like, what were the things that you liked to do? What were the things you didn't like to do? What do you think helped you? What do you think didn't help you? Was there stuff that you would have done differently? And it's amazing when you have those guys, again, these pro athletes, as I said, a lot of them are uneducated, but intelligent. And they'll give you really, really good insights in yeah. terms of, Hey, this worked really well. I remember it was funny. We had a conversation during the uh, the second year in the playoffs when we won the World Series. Strangely enough, and this may come off a little bit negative. I'm going to try to make it not. But I was there. We had an off day on a Monday. And I came in on the off day because we had some pitches that were going to lift. And uh, and they were like, oh, yeah, the other guy didn't. He, he didn't come in on off days. And I thought, oh, that's odd. And then we started talking and then he said, and we didn't have to lift during the playoffs. When the playoffs started, lifting became optional. And I thought that I, I said, I don't like that idea. And by then, you know, now we're firmly entrenched enough where it was like, it was not, right, right. we were more the opposite in terms of, you know, we're going to stick to our schedule. We're, we're, we're here. We're going to do it exactly the way we've done it the whole rest of the year because it's been working. And, and one of the guys told a story. He said, Oh yeah, I had to, he said, I didn't lift cause I was, not, uh, I was not slated to pitch. They did not look like I was going to pitch during the playoffs. He said, so I kind of mailed it in that year. And this, I think was going back to Oh seven. He said, I just mailed it in, didn't do anything. He said, and then suddenly they told me I was going to start one of the playoff games. And I thought, Oh my God, I had to get back in the weight room. He said, and I went in the weight room and I did a workout on my own. He said, and then the next day, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to pitch. I had to figure out, how am I going to be oh able to my. I'm so sore. <laughs> and I thought, and, but it, it spoke to that getting out of your routine. Yeah, and then cram for the exam. And, yeah, and then having the conversations with guys about, okay, well, how has this gone before? How have we done this? Because, again, I think it can be incredibly impressive sometimes the insight that you'll get from a guy where a guy will say, oh, you know, we did this before. Yeah. And I didn't like it. And that you should be, again, as, as a strength coach, you should always be looking to learn. You should always have kind of have your antennas up a little bit and say, okay, is, am I going to learn something from one of these guys today that 
might help me maybe with everybody down the road. Right. Yeah. And, and we would have those conversations, but that was why I did. Uh, um, when I first got there, I went through the media guide and I read about every single guy. Even I read about, I made a point of reading about the older minor league guys who were going to be in camp because I wanted to be able to make sure I could have a conversation, a realistic conversation with every single guy about kind of where are you from? Are you know, married kids, you know, are your kids here? What, you know, what did you do? And, and it was amazing how easy it was to establish relationships when you took the, the moments to humanize such a such a key point i and and as you're talking i i'm just thinking back it is so true like the my toolboxes that i've built for training with and alongside and and working our way through a, an an injury like a hamstring or a spondylolisthesis or uh, low back stuff or um you know achilles like I, I built my Achilles toolbox off of what I experienced going through that injury in, in a not fun way with Kobe. I built my toolbox off of some hamstring stuff that I dealt with and was working with Ryan Kelly. I learned a lot of what I do and, and, and put into training in and with spondylolisthesis or spondies of any type, low back stuff with, uh, with, with what I experienced training with Steve Nash, but it wasn't, me, you know, coming up with some crazy revolutionary stuff. It was like, wait a minute, you've had this thing for like, here's what I learned from them as they talked to me, you know, I was like, Steve, like you've dealt with this thing and been an MVP twice with this injury. Like open the vault, man. Like, tell me what you do. Yeah. No, I, you're a hundred percent dead on all the things I've learned or all the areas in which I think I've become an expert corresponded with an athlete having that injury and me realizing, Hey, I need to really dive into this injury. Totally. You're out. Okay. What are the best people doing? What are the people doing? who've had success with this. What are the people doing who failed to come back in these situations? And as you said, whether it was, I mean, my knees, Cam Neely, right. I started, I can remember when Cam Neely was hurt. I, I mean, and I was a, I was, you know, like the, the rap song, Young, Dumb, and Broke, right? I, mean, I, <laughs> I was not very old. I was not very smart, and I didn't have a lot of money. And, uh, but I started thinking, all right, I got to figure out this knee joint thing. Because yeah. I can literally remember, and this is how embar- this is embarrassing. You're going to laugh. When someone said he had a patellofemoral joint problem, and I remember going like, hmm, there's a patellofemoral joint. <laughs> I thought it was a knee. Like I, I didn't realize there was a, there's another whole joint that's there. Oh, I love <laughs> and, it. And having to really dive in and think, yeah. Because oh. again, I, I mean, I, I knew. I say I get it. So they're talking about how the patella interacts with the femur, and right. And, you know, but I remember our PT at that time, Scott Wall, was talking about. I think it was Scott then, but yeah, you know, he's got a problem in his trochlear groove, and I'm thinking, okay. I really need to get my Gray's anatomy out right, and start looking at the anatomy. And that was where I became much more informed. I started to really look and think, okay, right now I understand. I understand what the bones are. I understand what the joints are. I had a, what I would probably call at that time in the very early nineties, a pretty cursory understanding of how the body works relative to how I am now. And then like sure. 
spawned a little thesis. You know, you start looking and thinking, wait a second, you know, Scotty dog fracture and forward slippage. And yeah, oh, wait a second. I, I got I, there's a lot more I need to know for me to really one, even be able to communicate because to be able to listen to the doctor and talk to the therapist and to not look like an idiot. Yep. And be able to go in to these conversations. And then, because now I was going in and advocating for it. Like it was funny in my case, closed chain versus open chain at that time. So I was like, I had gone to, a, I went to a Gary Gray course. I just thought, you know, someone had said to me, Gary Gray's the guy. Yeah. If, if you really want to understand knees and function and functional anatomy, Gary Gray's the guy. And this was early nineties. Sure. And, um, and I went to, uh, I don't know. I think I might've maybe might've been one of the first chain reaction courses. And again, life changing stuff for me in the nineties in terms of Gary explaining anatomy. But now I'm going back to the Bruins and saying, I know why this isn't working. It's not yeah. working. Yeah. We've, been, we've been leg pressing and we've been doing Cybex tests and we've been doing leg extensions. And, and I said, not only do I know it's not working, I know it's not going to work. It's going right. to continue to not work. And we're going to, we're going to explore this completely differently. And we started this whole, the, the combination of kind of all closed chain rehab and all based on does it hurt. So we weren't going to do another thing that he felt. If you feel right. it, we're going to modify it. Somehow we're going to find a way. And we did. And then eventually here I am at that time, probably a 30 year old athletic trainer slash strength coach. And suddenly now I'm in charge of rehab for arguably at that time, the most visible athlete in Boston. Right. right. And we're bucking the system. We're looking at the doctors and, and I'm saying, I'm literally in conversation with doctors and I'm like, no, we're not doing that. And I'm in right. the physical therapist and I'm like, nope. I remember we hired a new PT consultant and he came in and he said, well, we got to get a Cybex test to figure out where he's at. And I was like, no, we don't. And he said, well, yeah, we're definitely going to do it. I said, no, you're not. And, and he was like, yeah, we are. I said, and Cam was there. And he just looked at me and goes, no, we're not. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he looked at me because he looked at him. He said, what do you mean? No, we're not. And he said, Mike says, we're not doing it. And my knee's getting better. So we're not doing it. He said, I know I did that before and it made my knee sore. He said, and I know that when I listen to him, my knee doesn't hurt anymore. He said, wow. so, and that's when I started to realize, wow, there's, there's some swing here in terms of guys have sway. Like the guy, yeah. <laughs> is really, like you said, you know, cause you had it with Kobe, you know, you, I didn't at that time cause I was coming out of college. I hadn't seen sort of the athlete as I don't know, the director, the initiator in terms of, yeah. Oh, I'm in charge of my rehab and right. I'm going to do what I think is going to be best for me. And, and if we don't work as a team, then I will work as an individual. And wow. I remember I went into a meeting and I said, I was like, Oh, I said, I'm definitely getting fired today. This is it. I said, I'm done. And he looked at me, he goes, I don't care. He said, I'll just keep paying you. Right. Right. He said, if you get fired, I'll pay your salary from now until whenever. He Holy. said, let's keep doing our rehab the way that we were doing our rehab. And he said that in the meeting. He was like, he said, I don't care. He said, if you guys, he goes, you get rid of Mike. He said, I'll just keep paying Mike and I'm just going to go with him. Right. So I'm better. And then they're all kind of sitting in there thinking, wow, how do we, what do we do now in terms right. of what you do is you end up deferring to the athlete, which has probably gotten to an extreme now. Yeah. Gone the other way. Too it, far, is, yeah. it is the way that this thing goes in terms of, 
you've got these guys and you've got agents and you've got outside influences. There's, there's a lot that goes on in particularly at this super high level, high visibility pro sports thing. You've got a lot to deal with and your ability to, you're again, it keeps right. You said it soft skills, your ability to navigate this is, is really the key. Like it's more important than what you know. It, it totally is. And I mean, I, I, as you're telling the story about cam, it's like that all played out that way though, because you started with trust and connection with him and then built it and then brought insight of what you were learning in, in places that weren't really being applied to, to thought of how we, how we attack this thing. And then also his, his body, this is sort of that point that I made earlier is like, eventually his body just, just told the, the, the truth. Like it was like, Hey, when, when I've been doing what Mike told me to do, it feels freaking good. Like I'm, we're going to keep going with this. And, and his body, the, the athlete will tell you if you, if you listen long enough and, and give him a uh, opportunity to, to tell you that I had, I had to, uh, I, I couldn't help but think as you were telling how sort of life-changing and, and kind of aha moment that Gary Gray uh, moment was for you, and it just sort of opens your mind to this whole other area that maybe you're in a tunnel over here and you're not even recognizing there's a whole other tunnel that we need to be thinking about. But for me, I can vividly remember being out of PT school, working as a, a physical therapist, trying to kind of drum up what is now TD Athletes Edge on the side and uh, had a PT intern. And I had come across an article that you wrote on the psoas, iliop psoas and, and iliacus and, and how we need to think about not just sort of uh, thinking that we can get in there and release it or that we could just want to be stretching it all the time and how we want to actually be strengthening this muscle and and how we could do that and what applications we could do to, to actually do that. And it was just like, I printed it out, which is common for me. I, I, I like things on, on paper as you, as anybody around me would, would tell you, but uh I printed it out. I brought it to my PT intern as, you know, they're, they're in the, the curriculum of the moment. And then I'm like, what do you, what do you think about this? You know, this is like, I'm, I'm really, I, it's got my gears turning, but it was like, I can go all the way back to anything that I do now to really that moment where I kind of looked at it as like, holy crap, like we're, we need to be thinking about this anatomy in ways that this is me going through a PT school curriculum four years of undergrad, three years of, of grad school and, and still not having until I read that and in, in what you were doing in the trenches and how we need to think about it. Like those are the, those are the things that I think are so key. And, and um, the other thing I would say is a lot of times people will ask me, okay, so how do you get the job with the Lakers? It's kind of a pinnacle job. It's, it's what I'm trying to shoot for. You know, tell me, tell me the route. What's the path. Do I have to, do I have to be a PT like you are and, and, and were in order to get that? And I, I always say like, no, you don't. There's a ton of strength coaches out there that uh, are, are, you know, far better at this craft than I am. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's not about the PT. The PT is not the, the thing that suddenly put me into knowing more or uh, being able to apply. Like you said, it's, it's, it's really kind of how, you interact with the people and how you are along the way, enjoyable to be around all the things that you can control. Uh, but going back to that PT side is like you, I do always recommend though, learn to speak PT, learn to speak rehab. So you can do that by going to the Gary 
gray uh presentation conference and and uh um uh, event you can do that by listening and learning and today it's so easy because you can go to so many different things both online and in person but you you do need to learn to speak pt you do need to learn to speak pt and you also need to you need to learn even more important than speaking pt you need to learn who's smarter than you. If you think you are the smartest person in the room, you know, they always say you're in the wrong room, right? Right. So looking at it from that perspective and knowing, because the article, Understanding and Training Hip Flexion, I think is the article that you read. I think you're right. Based on me reading the newer version of Kendall and Kendall, Muscle Testing and Function, and all of a sudden reading about hip flexion and thinking, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second here there's a lot more to hip flexion than I thought. And it was just a little bit in the Kendall book. And then it was getting Sarman stuff and reading Sarman's book. And then it was getting McGill's book. And I always go, whenever I speak to PT classes, I always say that I'm like, do you know who Charlie Sarman is? Right. Kendall and Kendall. Do you know who Stuart McGill is? Have you read Gray cook? Have you, and, and it's amazing. I'll, yeah. I'll do it as show of hands. And sometimes, okay, who's read, diagnosis and treatment of movement impairment syndromes and I'll have my hand up and I'll be the only one in the room, you know, 20 DPT kids, right? Not one of them. And then I think, okay, Miguel, low back disorders, raise your hand. And I'm up there the whole time. I'm the only guy with my hand up the whole time. And I'm thinking, no wonder, you know, you guys aren't going to be very good because you're not curious. Right. Right. You don't think like for me, the moment I found somebody smarter than me, I embraced them wholeheartedly and I literally tried to suck every ounce of knowledge out of those people that I could possibly find because I thought, wow, here's somebody who knows way more about me or way more than me about a particular topic. Totally. Wow. And I mean, I remember because I've been to Kevin Wilkes seminar. I've been three times to Kevin Wilkes knee and shoulder seminar. Yeah, I'm not even supposed to go because I'm not a PT anymore. And I, <laughs> right. and I always ask Kevin is really, he's always generous. I ask him, can I come? He's of course you can come, Yeah, but, but I go and I sit all with all PTs. Right. And I'm the only strength coach. And again, I, I'm theoretically an ATC, but I mean, I've, I haven't practiced in a really long time, sure. but I always go and I look at people and, and I think, you know, there's not enough strength coaches that are here because yeah. when you go to Kevin's course and he's talking about, slaps and he's talking about this he's talking and you're thinking okay i can now be in the conversation with the doctor and the pt and the athlete and me because i know what the hell they're talking about and then i can ask questions about well why can't you know based on what i know okay we've got this number of anchors in this why can't we do this right right and then they look at you a lot of times and i would and i would say when i first started i would look at the doctors and say okay what would you tell me to absolutely not do? Yeah. And and it was the ability to, to get in those meetings and to have those conversations and to go to those courses. And I think sometimes, again, we spend, you know, do we need another strength and conditioning class? Right. <laughs> right. Probably not as strength and conditioning coaches. But if someone said, could you get, you know, how many – you know, if you listen to Shirley Sarman speak, it's really funny. When Shirley spoke, I don't know if you remember, but she spoke at um at Art Horn's thing. Remember when he Sure. Said, yeah, the, the yep. The Boston, yeah. And uh 
And I went up and asked her if she'd take a picture with me. I said, I said, Dr. Sarman, I said, I don't take a lot of pictures with people, but I want to take a picture with you. Totally. I introduced myself and she literally, she goes, I know who you are. No way. How do you know who I am? And she said, you're the one who makes all these strength coaches come to my courses. He said, I, he said, I, she's like, I keep getting strength coaches coming to my courses and they're all coming because they say, Mike Boyle said that I should come to this course. Right. <laughs> but I was, I mean, I was flattered. I was like, wow, you know, it's kind of one of those moments. I was like, Steve Martin. Oh, man. Like, yeah. Phone books are here. I was like, Charlie Sarman knows who I am. Like, right. <laughs> I think, oh, man. To relate all this back to the aging athlete, then, Mike, part of what you're saying is find someone who has unbroken maybe an aging athlete in a way that may be useful so example we had andy Barr on who and andy was part of the team that that rehabbed kevin durant's achilles after that whole thing so okay well we know that he did that and td we know that you did that with kobe and and, and obviously you know there were others many of whom we've had on the show that were, were big parts of that whether it's a gary vd or whoever at the lakers but it sounds like Mike, as well as seeking out these experts, being humble enough to say this person knows a hell of a lot more than I do, look for the breadcrumbs of success, I guess is what I'm saying, and then follow the trail into the woods. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's so that's so true. Success leaves clues. <laughs> Truthfully, like you said, breadcrumbs, it's not a hard trail to follow, especially the way the internet is now. Right. It's really easy to figure out Okay, who do I need to be talking to? And the good thing, honestly, I can tell you whether it was, you know, Gary Gray or Greg Cook or Stuart McGill or whoever it was or Kevin Wilk, everybody has been so accessible over the course of my career. I can tell you that there were so, and the people who were not accessible were the strength coaches. Yeah. But fascinating. And a lot of times when you reached out to one of these people and said, hey, here's my situation trying to get a little bit, I can remember now Gary Gray going back. And I think Gary, I think went kind of a, a different path as he got older. Yeah. But when I first approached him about the Cam Neely stuff, I remember I got a VHS tape in the mail about a week after I talked to him and it was him after hours in the clinic with one of his interns and a camcorder. And he must've had, I got it. I wish I still had that, that VHS tape, but he must've VHS taped 20 different possibilities of exercises that we could try. Holy crap. And I thought, imagine, I mean, and again, Gary wasn't as busy as he was. He used to say, you know, he was in Adrian, Michigan. I can remember at that time him saying, you know, I'm in Adrian, Michigan, and I, I know what I know because I didn't have the 25000 everybody else had to buy a Cybex at the time. So I had, to figure, <laughs> I had to figure out a way to do it without it. He said, and then I figured out that the way to do it without it was better than the way to do it with it. But people took, and as I said, you know, like Kevin, Kevin has always been kind and generous with his time. Stuart, I, there's never been a time when I've emailed him or called him that he hasn't gotten back to me. Yep. And well, Gray, Gray Cook as well, right? I mean, right. Gray, I mean, same, you know, Gray and I met Gray, God, I don't even know what, what year it was, but it was very, very early on in his career. And uh, my friend, Daryl Edo, who you probably know Daryl was with the Rockets for a while. Yes. Daryl was, awesome. yes. was an original. Athlete's was performance. Original connection. Yeah. He was my yeah. original mentioned the mark wow uh you know was was through daryl and um oh daryl's the best and he was my connection because he was in boston one time and i was like why are you in boston he said i'm i'm going to uh, listen to this guy Greg cook talk and i thought who's Greg cook 
No way. I thought was Daryl knows who Greg Cook is. I don't know who Greg Cook is. But I went over and picked up Daryl at he was like I had a wall, you know, I think I had that Marriott and Waltham. Right. And I met Greg. And then, you know, I started reading Gray stuff and then I got to know Gray. And it's I mean, I think excuse me, I think people really they under network because they overvalue what they know. Mm. And maybe I over networked because I undervalued what I knew. I'm not sure. But mm. I was making sure that I was constantly meeting people who I thought were doing something better than I was. That's how I met Mark for Sagan. I knew Daryl and I had heard about, uh, at that time, IPI international performance Institute. It was pre exos. Right. Bradenton. And I got a hold of Daryl and I said, Hey, I'd love to come down and spend a couple of days. Just be a fly on the wall. And he said, yeah, absolutely. And I came, I went down with, uh, with my wife and her sister. And we were like, you know, I remember my the exact conversation was, well, if it's not good, we're still in Bradenton, Sarasota and we can go to the beach. Right. Right. The, the, the sand is warm. The beers are cold. We're good. And it was the polar opposite in terms of the first day again. And this is why you realize someone like Mark, this is my, I have huge respect for Mark for a number of reasons. He's one of my favorite people, mm-hmm. but I go down there and I, I watch him coach. I just, Literally sat, you know, yellow legal pad on the wall, got my ass on the turf and just watched what they were doing. And I wrote down my ideas about what they were doing. What were they doing better than us? What were they doing different than us? I'm just scribbling away. And when we're done, Mark comes walking off the field and I just introduced myself to him. And he said, you know, very politely, he's like, uh, we're having a staff meeting. Would you like to join us? And I said, that would be awesome. I said, I would love to come to your staff meeting. He said, what are you going to do? He said, oh, we're going to ask you questions for an hour. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I was like, so I'm, I'm the staff meeting. He was like, yeah, you're the staff meeting. He said, we're going to get you in the room. And he said, I've got all my interns. And it was Craig Friedman was down there. Then Brandon Marcello was down there. Oh, my Carol gosh. Derek Touchette, I think, was down there. There were a lot of good guys who ended up you know, becoming really good coaches in their own right. But that was right. Right. The original dream team. But I remember thinking, wow. And this, I was probably 40, Mark was 30. And I remember thinking, wow, this guy is totally secure in himself. He's not worried about the fact that I might know more than he does. In fact, it's the opposite. He seems to think that I do know something that he needs to know because he's inviting me to their meeting where basically they're going to interview me for an hour. And I just came away from that thinking, this kid has his shit together. That that was what I wow. thought. Wow. Wow. This kid has his shit together. No wonder he's succeeding and ne- never thinking that he'd succeed at the level that he did. Truthfully. Sure. I don't think I could dream as big as Mark was able to dream on his own, but <laughs> we went to lunch after that meeting. We sat for three hours and we had the plans for athletes performance out on the table. He had them all rolled up in a tube, all the drawings. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, wow, I guess this was worth it. And I'm thinking, hopefully my wife is still talking to me because she's now, you know, been at the beach, back to the hotel, everywhere. (laughs) While I've spent the last six or seven hours at IPI, at lunch, at the staff meeting. Oh my God. That is, that is wild. The, uh, the origin stories there. I mean, I love how he literally just, had our kind of architectural. So when people say all the blueprints, right? Athletes performance, yeah, you're saying he literally blueprints. had blueprints. 
And I said, where is this? And he said, I don't know. Wow. He said, it's either going to be in Arizona or it's going to be in California. I'm not sure yet, but he had architectural drawings that were. uh, Oh man. And And just, uh, he loves architecture. He would have been an architect if he wasn't a strength coach probably, but so special. But again, but it's that ability to seek out people who are smarter than you. And not again, not in a, I guess, not in a bad way, but sure. It, but it, it is an obvious. I mean, why am I doing it? Well, I'm doing it because I want to know what you know. Yeah, absolutely. I want to. It, it's, it's a very non-competitive better. I'm not thinking that at some point we're going to be competing for the same job or the same athletes or, or whatever it was. Right. Just like you're good at what you do, and I want to be better at what I do. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, sorry, I, I think that it's like when you do it in a way that is coming from curiosity, it's not like, Hey, can you just send me over that program? You wrote up like the list of the exercises you did with them. I just want to, you know, kind of steal that. It's like, well, what I, I get them all, but why'd you do the one in that order? And, you know, it's like, holy crap, I didn't think about that. And, you know, when you do it in that, from that place of curiosity and security of your own level of like, Hey, I, I know what I know. I know what I don't know. Maybe I, I, I want to know more. And, and that's where I'm at is like, I think it's a totally different, uh, approach than just saying like, Hey, can, can you hook me up with that program you wrote with for so-and-so like, I want to, I want to, uh, kind of snag that. Right. Cause my thing is if you want to snag the program, then come and spend four right. hours at the gym and bring right. me book, and you'll be, I'll let you write everything down. Right. Yeah, it's like oh, Gray. Yeah, Gray said send me that. Yeah, Gray Cook said a great thing about not being afraid to write everything on the whiteboard and let people take pictures of it, um, and, and to put himself out of business, like not being afraid of that. Yeah, right. yeah, and you yeah. I think yeah. You shouldn't. I always think it, I could give everybody in Boston. But I was twenty nine bucks. You can buy it. Right. It's in my book. It's not like it's right. But I don't think you're going to put Mike Boyle strength and conditioning out of business because I gave you that program. Right. Right. And, and I also, for me, I, I used to look at, you know, visits that I would do, um, you know, to athletes performance. One time I was two days away from a flight and the, the, the course didn't get signups. So it was like, Hey, we're canceling it. Hey, can I still come? Can I just kind of be a fly on the wall in the, in the space? And it was like, I remember during that time being able to just, like you said, I, as you, as you said, with a legal pad and, and taking notes, but I, I got as much from, it wasn't sort of, let me go be a fly on the wall so I can literally just Xerox what they're doing. It was, let me see if I can understand the context of why they're doing what they're doing. But also, I wonder if I'll come across some stuff where I'm like, you know what, that wouldn't fit within my philosophy of what, or or my audience or my, so you have to know like, well, that's kind of cool. It probably doesn't fit with what I'm doing, or I'm going to have to sort of modify how they applied that and that kind of thing. If you're going into it with that attitude and that approach, it's a totally different thing than just like, let me get Xeroxes of everybody and kind of 
you know, uh, go, go from there. I, I would say to anybody who, if you haven't, obviously I'm, I'm glad you brought up Shirley Sarman, but she just was on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And, and so it, it would be a great, like up to date current way to kind of hear where, what she's all about. And then obviously go back and read the books and, and get to anything that you can get to online or, or anything that she's doing is, is incredible. Um, and, and another point, Mike, I, I think tying this back to this aging athlete, and this conversation we went down of like basically being able to speak. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> I know, I know. I think so. I think so. <laughs> we got into a uh, a founder story basically, but uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's critical stuff. But that idea of the aging athlete. Uh, you know, I think, and being able to started down this path with being able to speak PT, being able to speak physical therapy. Like to me, that's how I <clears throat> tend to look at a younger professional in this field. Like, do they have intrigue and also this ability to start speaking some PT and go learn about it if, if they don't, because at some point you're not, you're probably not going to be for the rest of your life in an audience of making your career's earnings off of people that are made of rubber, like 20 year old athletes. And you could just keep applying different variations of, uh, you know, Olympic lifts and, and plyometrics. Like you're probably going to have to put together your, your portfolio in terms of when you have this athlete that is not made of rubber and they don't bounce back when you do these certain things to them. And I just think it's so critical to be able to build that out early on. And that to me is like, it's certainly are, it's certainly science, but it's, it's a lot of art when you're, you're, you're working with this, this audience. Let's even make it simpler, right? Please. I'm a young strength coach. Am I making my who's smarter than me list and have I met them, right? Because I look, you know, people are like, oh, you know everybody. I'm like, I know everybody because I make an effort to meet everybody. I know you because I got a hold of you and said, I would love for you to tell your story to my staff, right? Uh, I'll never forget it. Yeah, it was, uh, oh, it was I, I called I think, my brother okay, immediately. The old, the old Lakers strength coach just set up shop in Salem. Right, <laughs> right. I'd like to know that story. And if I'm, if I'm going to hear the story, gee, I'd love for the 20 or so people that are working with us to hear that story also. And I think it's so, I mean, you know, people say, you know, Alvin Meal, Alvin Meal and I have a great relationship because I invited Alvin Meal out to talk to our staff for two days. And I invited him to stay at my house. I invited him to come for dinner. Same thing with Gray. I brought those guys out. I brought people out at our expense yeah. to educate our staff. And while I was at it, I took the time to get to know them as people and all of that helps to create, you know, there's this network that people, you know, I, I always get the, well, you're Mike Boyle. It's different. And I'm like, Mike Boyle at 30 was not Mike Boyle. Mike Boyle at 30 had just given up his bartending job and had just kind of wiggled his way into being a part-time strength coach for the Bruins. And it was just starting to do these things, but I was still developing those relationships even during that time period. And then, like I said, that at be probably at 31, I probably went to that Gary Gray course. And I mean, I went to the Gary Gray course. I didn't have the money to go to the Gary Gray course. Truthfully, I didn't have the money. It was in Phoenix. I didn't have the money to pay for a ticket to Phoenix. I didn't have the money to pay the 500 bucks for the course. I didn't ask anybody to pay for it for me. I just took the leap of faith. I bought, you know, my wife and I went, I booked two nights in the hotel. I booked two flights and I booked the course and, Figure it out. You, you, Off we went. Yeah. You know, knowing 
it's like looking at return on investment, right? Yeah. You don't buy you don't buy a stock because it's going to 10x the next day. You buy the stock because it's supposed to be a good investment, and you think over time the the value of that stock will increase. You don't spend money on self improvement with the idea that it's going to take me wherever. But I end up at the Red Sox inadvertently because I take that job with the Bruins. I work with Scott Waugh, who's the PT for the Bruins, who eventually becomes a PT for the Red Sox, who eventually calls me about helping John Henry. You know, it's like, right. you know, these blocks that keep going on top of each other. And then yeah. suddenly at the top, someone thinks, I mean, they just offered you a job with the Red Sox. And I'm like, well, yeah, but no. Yeah, right, Mike, right. Um, <laughs> you, you, you skipped over this and you've told this story before on other shows, but Talk to us a little bit about how that bartending gig um, impacted your soft skill development and ability to deal with difficult and, frankly, sometimes drunk people. Oh, I I don't think there's any better job from the perspective of being able to deal with difficult people <laughs> right. than, than being a bartender. I always think, and we were back in the days when shutting, I always say, shutting somebody off was a much bigger deal. Now, if you say to somebody, they're not going to serve you another drink, most of the time people will let you say, you're right, I'm going home. Right, right. When I was doing it, when we first started, it was like, okay, we're going to have to fight these guys because yeah. we're going to tell them they can't drink here anymore. And they're not going to, it's not going to go well and it's going to end in violence. And uh, it was just the reality of the bar business at that time. But you even, I was a doorman when I wasn't a bartender and being able to talk to somebody, talk some sanity into somebody who's had 20 beers. <laughs> right. That'll, that'll hone your uh, soft skills real fast. Absolutely. It really does. I mean, the ability to get somebody, hey, I would love to get you out of the bar without having to drag you. Right. right. I have to go get one of my associates and the two of us or three of us will remove you. We, we can just, you know, we can just be arm in arm here and talk to each other and we can walk out the door and, you know, you can take it, take it like a champ. You can't stay or it can go poorly. And I think it's probably very analogous to the the situations because you are dealing with people and you're dealing with emotion and you're dealing with livelihood. So all of that stuff, I look and think, okay, what I was doing in the sports world probably was relatively easy by comparison. To right. what doing, at least everybody was sober. And, right. Uh, right. Most of the time. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe slightly less angry. Mike, I have two uh, questions I want to kind of finish off with. Do you have time? Are you are you doing okay? Yeah. Look, no. yeah. We'll, we'll rattle off the last two. All right, all right here we go. So, I don't know how this happens every time. We Every time. Um, it's a good sign. It's a good sign. So, I'm just thinking of a you know, a strength coach that's kind of built, trying to learn how to speak PT. Are there courses you would go to right now? Are there, you know, PTs that you would tap into? And I also think it doesn't have to be somebody that is – renowned or that is has no, a massive like, following one guy that i started for david gray who's an irish guy david david gray rehab very good yeah yeah very that's good. that's a yeah, great I'm, one no that i'm glad you yeah gets yeah. it yeah and, uh but i don't think there's not enough of those people unfortunately out there but he's one that uh keeps kind of coming across my radar and and generating interest where i look and think i like that that i got a you know, I got to follow yeah. up to do a staff meeting in September for us, actually. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I've, I've really enjoyed his stuff and, and, um, really, and that's, really, that staff meeting list that both of, both of you guys, if you could just 
put a list together um, for re- for listeners uh, of everyone who, who you've ever br- brought in to do a staff meeting, oh, either yeah, at TD Athlete's Edge or yours, if, Mike. If they subscribe, we have, MBSC TV has everything right. those meetings on it. Right. That's yeah. honestly, and I think it's 15 bucks a month or something. Yeah. And it's honestly, so good. 15 it's... bucks a month, you could watch in services forever. Right, right. You, I mean, I, I don't even like the list. The list is long and right, healthy. Right. People, yeah, and yeah. I mean, there's um, yeah, that's so good. I mean, it's like you, like you said, you, you have a never-ending uh, resource for just hearing the the different aspects of of not only the clinical insights and the 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 coaching insights, but also the the stories of how they got to where they they they've been able to get to. One person I would add is actually I'm glad you brought up David Gray because he made me think immediately. So Zach Couples um, is a is a yeah Zach's a guy who um, I just really appreciate kind of how he 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 comes out of some of like the uh, the iFast uh, side of things and, and, you know, the, the, the Hartman, um, school of, of thought and, and just, um, really, if you're learning to understand, wanting to understand how to speak PT, um, he's a great one. So, um, last, last question, Mike, I was, um, you know, I wanted to kind of see if, uh, you know, what are your, your big, say five heavy hitters of exercises. If we t- take this all the way back to the start and think of you brought up back squats, but if you're thinking of that aging athlete, whether it's gen pop or the 38 year old pro athlete, who's just been through the ringer, um, are there certain exercises where you're just saying like, look, Nope, that's not happening on my watch, but here's what I would do. Unfortunately. Yes. The, the big four would be bench press, deadlift, back squat and power clean. And I'd be like, not, not happening with older athletes. And again, there'd be, you know, I'd be skater squatting. I'd be one leg squatting. I'd be dumbbell bench pressing or standing cable pressing. I'd be doing trap bar jumps. Like I'm, I'm going after those patterns, but I am not going after those patterns in a conventional manner because it, it does not, I mean, it's proven over time just, and that's the problem. There are some people that are older who can do those exercises and then yep. they're the ones who are constantly advocating for everybody doing those exercises. And sometimes I think just because, and generally they are not former athletes, they're former lifters. Right. <laughs> really big difference. If you've always been a lifter and you can continue to lift good, good for you. I'm happy for you, but I have not in my experience found those things to be good because again, we go back to sort of what we know about anatomy and about degrees of freedom of joints. If I let you move, I, I always think like that's like dumbbell bench press is the perfect example. Every pitcher we had dumbbell bench press differently. Every single one. Some guys were very, very much like a straight bar. Some guys were close grip like a close grip bench. Some guys were 45 like the football bar. All different, right? Some guys, you know, really big range of motion. Some guys limited range of motion. Uh, but they all found the degree of freedom that they needed with yeah. a dumbbell that a bar – I always say a bar is a path dictator because you can't bend it. You know, people always say, oh, try to bend the bar. Like the psychological effect of trying to bend it, I get it. But you're not bending it. You're not altering the path. The bar will right. pick, the bar will pick the path for you. And as a result, that's problematic. And so yeah. when you give somebody more degrees of freedom, a lot of times they're going to find – and you hate to say it, but they're probably going to find that the areas of the joint that aren't as nicked up 
and they may be able to work around a hip labrum or a shoulder labrum or, as you said, a spondy or, you know, because of the compression. It may be something that allows them to go through the pattern. And what we have to realize is we should fall in love with patterns, not exercises. Exercises are just ways that we access patterns. And there are some really simple ones. But we can access those patterns in a whole bunch of ways with all, and add different constraints to that or different stresses to that, that are going to make, especially as you talk, you know, as we try to tie this back to yeah. that Asian athlete, suddenly you may get that guy who says, wow, that doesn't hurt at all. And you look and think, well, that's the pattern I was looking for. Yeah. I would add, all I wanted all I cared about was press. That's it. I would add, um, I would add the name Nick Gill at the New Zealand All Blacks to the list, and particularly what Gilly did with someone like Richie McCaw or Dan Carter when they were at the end, and back squatting was both intimidating and hurt, particularly with Richie McCaw, arguably the greatest rugby leader of all time. Um, so yeah, Nick Gill, as a shout-out to Gilly. As a shout-out to Gilly, he was smart enough. I've been on the phone with him once because he got a hold of me and said, I'd love to have a phone conversation with you from Australia. But it shows us the same, right? Right. Here we go. Yep. Reach out. Exactly. Try, try to find people. If you think, hey, I'd love to talk to this guy. Sometimes I look at people like, have you tried? Right. <laughs> you might be amazed that somebody says, yeah, I'll absolutely take a few minutes to have a conversation. Yeah. And, and the last thing I would say there is also if you run into not being able to get directly to them super easily, obviously keep trying. But there might be somebody around the corner from you that is not have millions of followers on social or is not with some high profile team or organization who is doing a damn good job. And you could just say like, Hey, any chance I could come by and see you treat some people, you know, like, it, yeah. It, or as you said, Mike, maybe what they know is contained in a $29 book or a $15 a month membership or a, so it may be, they may be mentoring at scale because you know, whatever reason you may not be able to get to them individually, whether it's high profile or not, but Perhaps they have a resource, or as you said, TD, if that's a, a Shirley podcast with Tim Ferriss, I'm gar guaranteeing that went at least two hours. Right. <laughs> right. Get that right. get that thing transcribed. Don't even have to get get no. your Otter AI, get rip literally or rip the audio, upload the audio into Otter AI, which is ten dollars a month, and it will give you a transcript on the left with all the highlights on the right. There's your investment. There you go. And then, yeah, you just look and think, or start a podcast. Right, right. right. Look at look at what's <laughs> happening right here. I mean. That's a lazy, lazy guy's way of doing it, right, TD? I don't, but think about the number of guys, you know, that I think a lot of people started podcasts because I want to talk to these people. And if I'm going to talk to these people, I might as well record it. Exactly. And let somebody else hear the conversation. Totally. I mean, so much. I, I was, the problem is not lack of information. Right. The problem is lack of desire to access information. Yeah. Because people, again, it's the same. If if you think you know all the answers, there's not a lot of questions. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's such a good point. Well, uh, you know, I, I and I think that I always look at a, a young person coming into the field as like, show me somebody that asks great questions that is walking around with a notebook, writing down questions and some insights as they're, as they're observing. But when I start to hear somebody ask really good questions, I, I know eventually they're, they're 
it's like you're seeing a good detective in, in their early stages. Like that's how they do it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so good. Mike, this has just been off the charts. So, so good as always. Um, is, is there anything that you've got on the front burner right now you want, you want to direct people to or, or uh, where uh, they can get the book designing yeah. programs and facilities has been out for a couple of months. Books are sl- selling slow these days. People don't read anymore. Really. They, it's very interesting in terms of the, the publishing industry is particularly in our field uh, hasn't done as well, but if people are interested, it, it's a pretty good, simple read. I would say but, you don't uh, want to miss it. Yeah, no. So, and, so and good, Mike, I direct people to Mike, tell people where they can, in case they didn't hear part one, where they can find all the articles that, that we meant, the three of us mentioned. Oh, strengthcoach.com strength yeah. is where all the articles are. And then mbsc.tv is where all the staff meetings and in-services are. So we do, we have a ton of resources that are really available for people. Um, but again, people just don't, they don't take the time to access them. And then people will call you and ask you questions and you think. It's in there. Yeah, so 14 bucks. I always tell everybody, you can join strengthcoach.com for $14.95 and ask me questions every day and I will answer them. Right, right. Some that you don't even ask and you wish you did. So, oh man, it's uh, it's as rich of a resource as there exists out there. This was just uh, pure gold as always, Mike. And um, I've already got my notes for, for part three. So uh, right. we'll, part, we'll, part three. We'll... <laughs> Coming up on Christmas time. Sounds good. We'll keep it right. on a cadence. Thanks, guys. I Thank appreciate you, Mike. It. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, and we hope you did, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. And so you never miss a weekly episode, be sure to subscribe and follow. You can find previous episodes on our show website. That's www.basketballstrongpodcast.com. For more basketball performance resources and nagging injury solutions, follow me on Instagram at TD Athletes Edge, and follow Phil at Phil White Books. Until next week's episode, stay basketball strong. <laughs>